Well, good morning. Morning. Good morning, Al. <laughs> Let's try that again. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, we're awake. I'll tell you what, after that song, you are all, all the songs, but that last song, you are worthy. Oh, my goodness. I just lifted my heart in praise and worship and adoration of Jesus. And, folks, that's why we're here. We are here to worship Him. That's why we're here. And that's what Christmas is all about. Over the last several weeks, we have been talking about the light of hope and then the light of peace, the light last week of love, and today we're going to talk about the light of joy, the light of joy. Hope, the hope of Advent. That's what Advent is all about. Advent is all, is all about looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking forward to celebrate His first coming, but also remembering that He's coming again. And there is a second Advent, the Advent of His second coming. That was what the hope is all about. And then the peace that pastor scripture we looked at in Isaiah chapter 9, he is the prince of peace. And it's because of him that we have peace with God and we can have the peace of God in our hearts. He's the prince of peace. And then last week, John 3.16, we talked about the light of love. It was because God loved the world that he gave his only son to be our savior. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And today we will be in the passage that Colleen read a little while ago. She came up and asked me to confirm which verse it was or verses it was. And I, for, I just drew a blank because I just taught another class. And my, my brain was still over there. So... But, uh, but she did such a good job of reading from Matthew chapter 2. And that story is the story, it's the tail end of, but it's the story of the wise men. And, you know, most of us know that when you have a manger scene and you put the wise men near the manger scene, that's really not historically accurate, right? They weren't there at the manger. They came to the house. And it was sometime later, scholars believe, probably possibly as much as two years later after Jesus' birth, that the wise men came. But those wise men did come, and so we want to talk about that passage uh, that, uh, that she read just a few moments ago, among several others as well. But I want to start out with a, with a little bit of a story from my own life, okay? That hopefully won't bore you too much. But like most of you, I have some some memories of Christmas that are, uh, are especially fond, especially of my childhood, and, and some that aren't so great, maybe. But, but I tend to think mostly this time of year about the good ones. I hope we all do that. Think about those good years. Um, when I was a kid, I can remember many nights on Christmas Eve, laying awake, unable to go to sleep because of the anticipation of the gifts the next morning. Anybody else ever experienced that in here? Some of you? Yeah. I, I remember that. And thinking I would never fall asleep. Laying there for what seemed like hours. And it was probably just minutes. But, you know, as a child, it just seems like forever. 
until Christmas morning will come and you'll be able to come down and, and see those gifts. And one year in particular, I remember as I was uh, anticipating Christmas, and it was before Christmas Eve, um, I, something happened that was very difficult for me. That was a little bit weird as a child. One of the things that I looked forward to almost as much, maybe even a little more than the gifts that I was hoping for, was the anticipation of the gifts. So last week in the auditorium, Pastor Sam shared a, a story of how he and his brothers got really good at opening the gifts up and looking, you know, inside and then putting it back so you couldn't tell that they had done that. Well, my wife was like that, and her sister was like that. She hates surprises. So they always wanted to know what the gifts were before, not me. I did not want to know. And so one year, I think I was about, you know, five to seven years old, somewhere in that range, there was a particular toy that I wanted. And as I stand here, I cannot remember the toy. And that seems a little weird because I wanted that toy just as much as, as that, that little boy Ralphie in the Christmas story wanted that, you know, BB gun, that special BB gun that he wanted so bad. Have you ever seen that movie? I was, I was like Ralphie. I wanted this thing and I wanted it bad. You know, every year we would get, this was before the internet. I know some of you don't remember before the internet, but this was before the internet. And we had Sears catalog. <laughs> Amen. Preach it. <laughs> so the Sears catalog, I would sit down and go through those and I would put a, take a mark there and show my mom, this is what I want, you know. And so this was one of those things. I had wanted it so bad, but I don't remember what it was. I do remember the shape of the box. The box was rectangular and two sides were squared off and two sides, two sides had 90 degree angles and the other two sides had 45 degree angles slanted on the side. Now that's significant to the story, okay? So before Christmas, we're all getting ready for Christmas and one day I walk into my mom's bedroom. She had the door shut, she didn't have it locked. I don't know why to this day, I don't know why she didn't lock that door. But I open the door and she's wrapping presents. And there it is, the thing that I wanted for the Lord and everybody to see it. It hasn't been wrapped yet, and she's bought it for me, and I knew she bought it for me, and I was devastated. I, I wanted this gift, but I didn't want to know I was getting it. I wanted to come down the stairs Christmas morning and be surprised by this gift. But now I saw that I was getting the gift and my Christmas was ruined. It was over with. And I was crying and sobbing. You know, that kind of cry, you just can't get a control of yourself. And my mom was trying to console me, you know, honey, you got the gift you want. I don't care, it's over, you know, it's, just, it's ruined. And so my mom, <laughs> I love my mom, but my mom was really good at lying. And, and she said, you know, honey, it's okay. I'll take the gift back. And I said, okay. So now I'm like, you know, what's worse? I don't get the gift or I know about the gift before I get the gift. I didn't know which was worse, but I, I, was, I was somehow comforted by the fact that she was going to take it back and she was going to get me something else. So that 
stopped my crying. It calmed me down. And so a few days go by, Christmas morning comes. I can still remember it like it was yesterday. I walk down the steps. It's dark in the living room, and the only lights are the light on the Christmas tree, lights on the Christmas tree. And everybody's sitting around and starting to sit down and unwrap gifts. And I look over, and I saw that box. It was wrapped with wrapping paper, but it had those two slants on the side. And I went straight to that box, and it had my brother's name on it. My brother is nine years older than me, and I knew that was not his gift. That was my gift. And I wouldn't be fooled by it. And sure enough, it was mine, and I got the toy. Like I said, I don't remember the toy, but I remember that experience. See, there was something about the anticipation. There was something about the hope before the hope was realized that has helped me to relate to the hope of the first coming of Christ and the hope of the second coming. You see, our first Sunday of Advent was about the light of hope. And today, our last Sunday of Advent is about the light of joy. And that joy is really just the realization of the hope. See, I had joy when I opened that gift that morning that I got the thing that I wanted. But that joy was even better because of the hope that had preceded it. Does that make sense? And that's the way it is with Christ. You see, we are hoping for his second coming, but there were many in that day that were hoping for his first coming. And because of that, when he came, their joy was indescribable. And so the first joy that I want to talk about is this joy that came from far away. It was the joy of the wise men. In our passage today that we read, we read about how they came in verse 10 through 12. It says, they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. See, these wise men, we don't know how many there were, you know, the tradition is that there were three because there are three gifts, but however many there were, they came because they saw this star. But more than that, they came because they knew of the promise. The Bible tells us that they came from the east. We don't know exactly where they came from, but many Bible scholars believe that they came from Persia, and that's significant because Persia is where Daniel was many, many years before. And it's quite possible that they had read the writings of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 through 45 says this, And in the days of those kings, talking about the kings that would come, 
that were being pictured by this, this vision that Nebuchadnezzar had had. This, you remember the great image. It was a great image that started out with gold and it went down to silver and then it went down to bronze and then it ended up in iron. So this, this gold represented four major kingdoms of the world. And it was in the days of those kings, Daniel said, that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that the stone was cut from a mountain and with no human hands, hand and it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Daniel had written this prophecy hundreds of years before Christ was born. And that prophecy was written about a kingdom that would come. And there were many other things in Daniel's writings that talked about this kingdom that would come. And it's quite possible that these wise men had read these prophecies. But somehow they knew. They knew that a king was coming, a king of Israel. If you look in chapter 2, verse 1 of Matthew, it says... And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. That word saying is a present participle in the Greek, which means it is a continual action. When they came to Jerusalem, what were they doing? They were going over here and saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And they were going over here and saying, hey, do you know where he is that was born king of the Jews? They were going all over the place. They were stirring up a ruckus in town so much that King Herod heard about it. They didn't just go one place. They went everywhere. They went all over town. It was a continual thing. They were asking everybody, why? Because they had a great hope in their heart. They had a great anticipation. They had seen a star, this sign in the heavens. They had somehow gotten a hold of God's prophecies about the coming of a king. And they knew this king was going to be greater than any king that had ever been. That this king was going to have a kingdom that would destroy all other kingdoms and it would last forever. They knew about this king, something about this king, enough to make them desire it greatly to see this king. And why did they come to Jerusalem? They said, we have come to worship him. This was a costly journey. This was a journey that they made that may have taken them several weeks to make. It cost them financially. It cost them time away from their families. It cost them all of the effort that it took to make this journey. They came prepared with gifts for a king that they had never seen. They came to worship. They prepared to worship. Because of their great hope, their great anticipation, because of Advent, the spirit of Advent, they were anticipating this king. And they came to worship this king. There was also joy from on high. There was not only joy from afar, but there was joy from on high, if you turn over to Luke, or we have it, I think, on the screen, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 14, it says, In the same region, region, this was 
the night Jesus was born, sometime before this event with the shepherd or with the uh, wise men, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round, around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for I bring you great good news of great joy that will, will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. There was great joy. The angels came from heaven to proclaim great joy. It's hard for us to imagine what it must have been like to hear that heavenly choir in the heavens. Those shepherds were out there just taking care of their flocks like they did every other night. It was dark. There were no street lights back then. There was no uh, pollution from the city lights. It was completely dark. And all of a sudden, the sky shows up with angels. And this heavenly choir is singing. And it's unmistakable that this is a miracle. That there is great joy among the angels in this announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ. Folks, all of heaven was excited about it. In the book of the Gospel of John, chapter 8, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees. He's talking with them about Abraham. And he says this, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day and he saw it and was glad. You realize Abraham got to celebrate Christmas in heaven, the first Christmas? He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus knew Abraham. He'd spent time with Abraham in heaven. And Abraham knew that the promise of Jesus coming was going to happen. And when it happened, he was glad. Folks, all of heaven was filled with joy at the coming of Jesus Christ. The angels were filled with joy. Believers who were there were filled with joy. It's all about the joy of Jesus. There was also joy in Israel. We've already read what the angels said to the shepherds. Let's look at the shepherds' response in Luke chapter 2. It says, when the angels went away, beginning in verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned 
glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Realize they were at work. They had a job to do, taking care of the sheep. They left the sheep. That's nothing compared to what we're going to see. We're going to see the king. We're going to see this child that these angels have told us about. And when they saw him, they returned glorifying and praising God. There was great joy in Israel with the shepherds. There was also great joy in Israel with Simeon and Anna. Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 32 tells us the story about Simeon. It says that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into, in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for, the glory, to, for glory to your people Israel. You know what a bucket list is, right? A bucket list is those things you want to do before you kick the bucket. Things that you would love to do that are so important to you that you just have to do those things before you die. You know what one thing was in Simeon's bucket list? Seeing the Messiah. Seeing the Messiah was the one thing left in Simeon's bucket list. He was literally living for that experience. Everything about this man's life said, I can't wait to see the king. I'm excited to see the Lord's salvation. And when he saw Jesus, what did he say to God? I can now die in peace because there was no peace until he saw the Savior. There was no rest for him until he saw God's salvation. And that's what he called Jesus. I have seen your salvation. When he saw Jesus, he saw God's salvation. There was great anticipation with this man, Anna, or this man Simeon and with Anna. In chapter 2, verse 36 of Luke, it says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. You see that? See, Anna was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And there were others who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. 
What were they doing while they were waiting? They were worshiping. They were anticipating. They were, their lives were all about the coming of the Messiah who had been promised. They had great anticipation, greater than I had that night before Christmas. Before I walked down and looked at that Christmas tree and saw that box, it was far greater than that. It was so great that it was the primary directive of their lives. It determined how they lived. It determined what decisions they made, where they spent their time, what they talked about with their friends. You see, this was a great anticipation. And it was connected with a tremendous joy when it was realized. Jesus also was driven by joy. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says this. That you and I as believers, as followers of Christ, need to be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You ever think about that? When Jesus was in the garden the night before he was crucified, and he was praying, the Bible tells us that he prayed as it were great drops of blood that would pour out like sweat. He was under tremendous physical, emotional spiritual pressure that night. He cried out to the Father and said, if, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. It was not a small thing for Jesus to face the cross. Because he knew that he was going to die but he also knew that he would be separated from his father because of the sin that was going to be laid on him. See, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. People want to talk about the miracle that Christ rose from the dead. You know, it's really a miracle that he died. Because if the wages of sin is death, one died who had never sinned. God died on the cross. That is a miracle. He dismissed his own spirit. He died in our place. He took the weight of your sin and my sin, everything we had ever done, upon him. And that night, as he was looking forward to that, he also said to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. How is he able to say that? Because of the joy of that was set before him. Now, theologians may have a better answer for that than I do, but let me just tell you, in plain old hillbilly thinking, what I, how I interpret that. I am standing here right now looking at the joy that was set before him. You. You 
You see, the only way he could have you was to go through the cross. And you were worth it to him. You are the joy. You are what was on the other side of hell on earth. Hanging on a cross. Bearing the weight of all sin of all mankind. You. Think about that. Think about the power of joy. See, our, our series has been the light of hope. The light of peace. The light of love. And the light of joy. What is the light? Well, the light shows us how to walk. The light reveals God to us. Without the light, we stumble around in the darkness, right? See, hope provides light. It provides direction for your life. It helps you to see God. helps you to see clearly. helps you not to stumble. Peace, having peace with God, and having the peace of God in your heart... That gives you light. It helps you know how to live your life. How to relate to things in your life and, and, and follow the Lord in the midst of all that's happening to you and around you. <laughs> love. Love gives light. Because if you realize how much your Savior loves you, you see, John said it this way. He said, we love him because he first loved us. When you are gripped by the love of God, it would be like Paul said, the love of God constrains us. The love of God determines how we live. It determines what's important to us. When I know I'm loved that much, and I deserve it that little. It does something to you. And then hope. Hope. You see, hope gave light to those wise men that they should follow that star. Hope gave excitement in heaven, anticipating Jesus coming. Hope drove those shepherds from the field to go see what they had been told about. Hope was what was keeping Simeon alive. Hope was what Anna had spent her entire life from the time her husband died at a young age. And she had lived decades as a widow Serving God and doing nothing but fasting and praying and spending time worshiping God in the temple. Hope drove that woman. And hope drove those that she associated with that she went and spoke to. See, hope's a powerful thing. Having no hope is a dreadful thing. But folks, as Christians, we have hope. 
Our Savior had hope. Hope got him through the cross. And hope will get you through the cross. Now it's your turn. How's your joy this morning? How's your hope? Those two things are linked together. Is this a joyful time for you because you're celebrating the Savior? Or is it a dreadful time for you because maybe you associate Christmas with some unpleasant thing that's happened in your life? Maybe there are family members that you really don't look forward to spending time with on Christmas Day. Maybe financially it's just too difficult because you really don't have the money to spend on gifts, but you feel bad for not spending those, that money because everybody else is spending that money, so you need to go in debt like they do too. And maybe you're stressed out. Maybe you're stressed out because you have to get everything ready for everybody to come to your house, and it's not ready yet. Time's running out. Folks, all those things are distractions from the joy. I know we have to deal with that stuff. Yes, we live in the real world, right? But so did the wise men. So did the shepherds. So did Simeon. So did Anna. They had to eat. They had to have a place to sleep. They had family. They had concerns. Just like us. But the hope and the joy in their lives brought light that helped them through everything they had to face. Titus 2, verse 11 through 14 says this. For the grace of God has appeared. That's past tense, right? The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So we can reach back in time, and we can grab hold of the fact that Jesus has come. The grace of God has appeared. Jesus has come. He has died for us on the cross. He took the penalty for our sins. He rose again from the dead. We can can take hold of that. And what does that do? It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It teaches us how to live because of what's happened in the past. But guess what? That's not the end of the story because we're also waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous of good works. Folks, the key to really enjoying the joy of Christmas is not just remembering what he's done in the past. That is important. It's vital. It's absolutely necessary. But folks, we've got to realize he's coming again. And if Simeon's bucket list had one thing in it, Let me ask you, what's in yours? Are you looking forward to seeing his face? John said that we are the children of God, and it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we shall be 
like him. When? When we see him as he is. You see, seeing Jesus will transform us. You will either see him when you die and wake up in his presence if you're a Christian, or you'll see him when he comes for you. One way or the other, you will see him if you are a believer. And that joy and that anticipation should affect you right now, in here and now. Remember what drove Jesus in that garden? What helped him to face the cross? It was the joy that was set before him. And if the joy of Jesus was you, what is your joy? It should be Jesus. And I got to tell you, we're getting the better end of the deal. He just got us. <laughs> we get him. We get him. One day you will see him. You will see the nail prints in his hands. And those marks will speak loudly to you that they are there because you were his joy. As you celebrate Christmas this year, celebrate his first coming. Remember what he's done for you. But brother and sister, celebrate that he's coming again. There is a second advent. He's coming. If you don't know him, he's still coming. If you don't have a relationship with him, if you've never put your faith in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, understand that the same thing that brings joy to believers should strike fear in your heart. Because there'll be a day when the chances are over. If you die without him, you will not be in his presence in a joyful state. He will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. If you are not one who knows him and he comes again, he will not be coming to bring you to his presence and comfort you. He will be coming as your judge. But be assured. Just as he came the first time. He's coming again. That's our joy. That's our joy as Christians today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord God we want to thank you. That you came. That Jesus came, that he lived a perfect sinless life, that he, he died as our substitute, died in our place, took the penalty that was due to us for our sin. He had never sinned, but he took all that upon himself. And then he rose again from the dead to prove that what he had done was sufficient to justify us before our Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray that today, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice 
that has never received Christ. They do not know that if they died today, they would be in your presence. Father, I pray that you bring conviction to their heart. That today they would receive the true gift of Christmas, Jesus Christ. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, give us the light of joy. May joy enlighten us to serve you, to follow you, to celebrate you, to worship you, to come like the wise men did, to worship him, to worship you. Father, may you be glorified in this time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.